We're going to be in John chapter 14, uh, verses 12 through 27 today. Uh, the title of the message is Greater Works. And we're going to continue through our study that we started two weeks ago in the book of John. And hopefully you guys are coming consistently weekly because it's going to help a lot in your understanding of this passage as a whole. Um, it'll be a little harder if you come only once in a while, but nonetheless, uh, some Bible is better than no Bible. You see, the dream, usually the dream of a teacher is to have their students become more successful than them. Like, I, I'm, I'm your guys' Bible teacher. Uh, I get to teach you the Bible on Sundays and Wednesdays. And my, my, man, what would bring me more joy is if you got to a point where you were, you know, successful in, in what I'm teaching, right? And for a, uh, you know, the prayer of a parent is that their child would have greater opportunities in life than they had, right? That's like, man, they, they, the amount of time and effort that your parents put into you. I know for my parents, like I, they wanted to live their lives in a way that would set me up for greater opportunities than they had when they were kids growing up. And there's a hope that there, that there comes a point when the teacher or the parent is able to step back and the child or student is able to step up and shine. You guys kind of know what I'm saying? Like, you know, maybe if you watch like Kung Fu movies, it's like, you know, the, the teacher has surpassed the, or the student has surpassed the teacher, right? It's like not in position, but he's become successful. That's the idea. Well, Jesus has been raising up and training these guys, these disciples. He's been investing more time in them than anyone else. And it's almost time for him to hand them the baton. You guys know what I mean? Hand them the baton? Think about like a relay race. That Jesus is leaving, and so they're the ones that are going to go and fulfill the mission that he came to start. And Jesus has been setting them up for this very moment. Um, you know, though one will fall away, Judas, one will deny him, Peter, and all of the others, all 10 of the others will flee from him in fear. The majority will go on to do what Jesus says is greater works than even he did. And that's what we're going to look at today. Hence the title of the message. All right. Cool. So last week, if you remember our text, and, and we're hoping that the time in the Word and then your time in small groups is a way for you guys to really digest the Word, uh, meaning that you're not just eating it and, and, uh, and hearing it, and that's kind of it. We want you guys to get everything from it, um, in a sense. And last week, uh, we looked how Jesus encouraged their troubled hearts. Do you guys remember that? And he began talking to them about the glories of heaven, how he's leaving, but he's going to come back. He's leaving, but he's going to prepare a place for them. And he, and he began to tell them the way, right? He said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And he began to, uh, you know, he, he wanted to make sure that they understood this foundational truth. You guys with me? Yes? Well, now in our text today, uh, we're going to skip a little part, uh, and, and it's when Philip... now. You, you see in this text, there's these different disciples that ask these questions. We saw Peter ask the question of, hey, Jesus, where are you going? Thomas asked a question last time we were together. He asked in verse five, uh, Lord, we don't know where you're going and how can we know the way? And then we see right after that, Philip asks the question and he wants, and he says to Jesus, Jesus, we want to see the father. We want to see God. And Jesus says, oh, you don't get it. If you have seen me, you have seen the Father, meaning everything that the Father is, every uh, you know, uh, aspect of him is in the body of Jesus, that they have been with God. 
And, and, and that kind of brings us to our text today in verse 12, all right? So we're going to read John chapter 14, and we're going to read from verse 12 to 27, which is a rather large chunk. And so I don't want you guys to get a little daydreamy or thinking about what you're going to have for lunch later or thinking about what you did last night. I want you to focus on the word of God, all right? And let him speak into your life, and then we'll, we'll dive into it and see all that God has for us. Sound good? All right, John 14, look in your own Bibles and read along in your own hearts and heads. Verse 12, John 14. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works, there's our title, than these he will do, because I go to my Father. And whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, keep my commandments. And I will pray the Father that he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever. The spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. A little while longer, and the world will see me no more. But you will see me because I live. You will live also. At that day, you will know that I am in the Father, and you in me, and I in you. He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Then we have another disciple ask a question in verse 22. Judas, this is not Iscariot, different Judas. It'd be suck, it, would, it would be difficult to have that same uh, name. Uh, and it says, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us? And not to the world. Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me does not keep his words, or keep my, keep my words. And the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father who sent me. Verse 25. These things I have spoken to you while being present with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, in my who the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word and we thank you for your grace towards us. Lord, that you love us and, and you want Lord, the most for us. And you want us not to live a life with unfulfilled purpose, but you've given us work to do. You've given us things in our life with, with, with purpose. And Lord, we pray that, that we would be able to fulfill the purpose that you've given in our life. And so Lord, as we read your word, would you give us understanding? In Jesus' name we pray. And we all said, amen. amen. All right, so verse 12. He says that you will go on to do greater works. He's talking specifically first and foremost to the now 11 disciples. Remember, Judas already left the room to do his dirty business. And he looks around at the room of the 11 disciples and he says, most assuredly, it means truly, truly. It basically, what he's about to say is gonna be a truth bomb. 
that what he's about to say is going to be, uh, is when you want to kind of listen up. Whenever you see Jesus say, most assuredly, that's when you want to be like, okay, I'm going to listen a little extra. Because what he's about to say is of significance. And so he says, he says, if you believe in me, he looks around to his disciples. He says, the things that you've seen me do, he says, you will do greater. You will do greater works because I go to my father. Now, if you're like me, when you read that, you're like, I mean, that's like nice. It's nice that Jesus said they were going to do greater works, but I mean, come on. Jesus walked on water. Jesus raised people from the dead. Jesus did some pretty epic stuff, right? And Jesus tells his disciples that they're going to do greater works. Yeah. The word works here, I want you to note it down. It means this. It means acts or deeds. It's something that someone does or causes to happen. That Jesus truly could look around the disciples and and he could say to them in truth, because Jesus doesn't lie, that the things that I have in store for you are going to be are, are greater works, something that you're going to do and be a part of than what I have done in my time here. Now, what we need to know about this word greater is it's not talking about quality, but quantity, okay? Greater in the sense of more, in size and in number, of greater magnitude or greater reach. He's not saying that the disciples now are going to be able to like fly. Like we don't have any stories about Jesus flying. So the disciples are going to do greater things. Hence, they're going to fly, right? He's not talking about in quality of things done, but in magnitude, in size, in number, in quantity, not quality. Does that make sense? Greater in the sense of the reach that the disciples will have will be greater than that of Jesus. And you might say, what does that mean? Come on more than Jesus. It sounds wrong, right? It almost sounds like that's not right. Greater works than Jesus? No way. But notice he's not talking to Peter alone. He's not talking to John alone. He is talking to a group of men, 10 disciples, and he's saying collectively, not singularly, not just one person, but as a group, as what you will represent, you will have a greater reach, a greater impact than I had in my time here on earth. And first, this does apply to the disciples, that the 10 would go on and they would flip the world, not upside down, but rather right side up. But it would go on to the the early church, And it would go on now to even you and to me. You see, what Jesus said to the disciples here in verse 12, it came true and is even continuing to this day. Think about it. By the end of the book of Acts, does anyone want to guess how many years the book of Acts covers, which is right after Jesus ascends, right? Chapter one, Jesus ascends. From chapter one to chapter 28, how many years pass by? Does anyone know? 30 years. There's a 30-year period. And from the time that Jesus ascended, the gospel spread like wildfire. That from from chapter one, Jesus leaves and greater things begin happening in the sense of worldwide. That the gospel had reached every known population that Paul went around the world and 
the gospel was spread. Churches were in random countries way away from Israel. The gospel began to spread that Jesus, through the disciples, began to make greater impact, greater works. And that is still happening 2,000 years later. You see, notice the reason. Look at verse 12 in your Bibles. Look. He says the reason. He says because. When you see because, that means a reason. He says, because I go to the Father. You see, the reason that Jesus is saying, hey, you're going to do, you're going to have a greater impact worldwide because I'm leaving. You're like, what? What? Jesus, you should be here and do it with us. Don't go to heaven. Just stay here and we'll do this thing together. But Jesus says, no, it's going to be to your advantage. advantage." Note down John chapter 16, verse 7. We haven't got here yet. We will in the coming weeks because that's in our series, John 16. We're in John 14 right now. But Jesus would go on to tell the disciples this, that it is to your advantage that I go away. That that word, it means uh, of your benefit or that it's going to be better that I leave. What? Because think about the disciples. They have God in flesh in front of them. And he says, it'll be better if I'm not here. What do, you, what do you mean? Well, this is what I mean. I think F.F. F. Bruce, he's a Bible commentator, puts it very well. He says this. He says, the greater works of which he now spoke to them would still be his own works, accomplished no longer by his visible presence among them, but by his spirit within them. It's awesome. You see, Jesus was leaving, but soon his spirit would be in every disciple. And then every disciple would go and share the gospel. Wow. Jesus would not just be one person because when Jesus was here, are you guys tracking with me? Yes? When Jesus was here, he wasn't only in his body form. He could only be at one place at one time. But what Jesus' leaving meant was that Jesus was sending the Holy Spirit which the Holy Spirit is not just, it's not a separate entity from Jesus. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit is the spirit of Christ, that Jesus would manifest himself, not just alongside the disciples, but in and through. That there wouldn't just be one Jesus, but many Jesuses represented as the disciples. It's genius. It's amazing. Galatians chapter two, verse 20. You can note it down. Galatians 2, 20 says, Paul would say, it's not me who's living. It's Jesus living in and through me. It's awesome. You see, this was the plan. This is how they were going to do the greater works. You see, when Jesus was with the disciples, he was confined. When he leaves, the Holy Spirit comes and God's work is multiplied. So what was Jesus seeking to communicate with the disciples here? In verse 12, it was this, that the work is not over. Yes, I'm leaving. Yes, I'm not going to be physically with you. Because isn't it in your mind, like, I just want to see Jesus. Like, I just wish he was here. Don't you wish he was here? Don't you wish we would have someone to touch and hug and talk with and, and be with? But Jesus says, it's better that I'm not here. It's better that I'm with you in the Holy Spirit inside of you than even being next to you. That this is, this is God's opinion. He's saying, it's going to be better. I know you want me to be by your side, but it's better that I'm in you. It's, it's better. It's more advantageous. It's, it's more beneficial. 
You see, but what he's communicating to them is that there's work to be done, that they have great purpose. Remember, they're, trying, they're kind of still tripping out that Jesus is leaving. They're like, wait, there's so much work to be done. And Jesus would say, yes, there is work to be done, but it's not going to be with me by your side. It's going to be me in and through you. And usually when people are troubled, when people are in maybe a hopeless they feel like they're in a hopeless situation. What gets someone out of that is when they have purpose. And you, you have purpose. You see, I, though Jesus was talking to the 10 disciples, I believe Jesus wants to talk to you today personally. You guys looking at me? Jesus wants to talk to you personally today. There is work to be done. That there are more things that he has and there are greater works ahead. God has invited us to be a part of his work. And he has given us the promise that he will do the work in and through us. But how? How is this really going to look? Well, Jesus doesn't just say, hey, you're going to do greater things. Just trust me. No, he just goes on to describe to them how this is going to look. By what means? By what way? Well, um, the first thing that we'll look at today, that these greater works are going to happen by the privilege of prayer. And that is in verse 13 and 14. Look in your Bibles. By the privilege of prayer. Now, these verses, honestly, I can tell you right now, these ones kind of trip me out. There's these verses in the Bible that talk about prayer, and honestly, I just don't get it fully. I'm going to do my best to describe it to you and and explain it to you the best I know how and the best I understand. But I struggle with some of these passages. When, When like this one, look at it. And whatever you ask in my name, meaning in the name of Jesus, that I will do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Anything? 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 Anything. This trips me out. Because I think, you know, so you can take this and you almost like want to like abuse that, right? Like, oh, I can ask anything. Oh, Jesus, verse 14, I can ask anything. But you got to have the context of these verses. So I'll just share with you what I know, okay? I know that Jesus said, you're going to go on and do greater things. I have more work to be done. And one of the means by which that's going to happen is by the privilege that you and I have of praying to God the Father. And now, notice he says, whatever you ask. You see, some people want to take this and run with it without looking at the context. Context. But in no way is Jesus telling the disciples that he's going to be their genie. Okay, it's not that in the upper room, he hands them a lamp and he says, okay, whatever you need, I'm going to leave, but just rub the lamp. I'll come out and grant your every wish. That's not what Jesus is saying, right? So what is he saying? Well, he isn't, notice where he's at. Where's Jesus at this point when he's saying this? Come on. Where's he at? Yeah. Is he at the Passover? Yeah, he's in that, he's in that upper room. They've, they've had that meal together. And he's still there. And who's he with? The disciples. He's not in the temple teaching people that maybe don't even believe in him. He is talking to his disciples who trust him. And he's telling them that they're going to do greater works than what they've experienced in the last few years. He's not giving this as a license for anyone to be like, okay, now now Jesus is your personal genie. He's talking to his followers. He's talking to the people that have followed him and have sought to obey him. And this is important when understanding this. Jesus is telling them that though he is leaving, he is only a prayer away. That he will listen and he will work on their behalf. 
He's telling them, because I'm sure when they heard that too, just like you heard that in verse 12 of greater things than Jesus, I'm sure that was like a trip for them too. They're like, no way, Jesus, you walked on water. I mean, Peter did for a little bit, but then he sang. No way we're gonna do greater things. He says, yes, by the power and the privilege of prayer. That you will talk with me and I will work. I will do it on your behalf. But notice it's only in my name. No, not my name, Jesus's name. In the name of Jesus. He says, when you pray, pray in my name. And that is key. You wanna, if you have your own Bible, you wanna highlight that in my name. You see, someone name used to be a lot more significant way back then than it is now. It often was tied with someone's character. And to pray in Jesus's name is to pray based upon, pray based upon the person and the work of Jesus. You see, you and I can only come to God in prayer with petitions based upon the way that Jesus has made. You see, you're not going to get very far if in your prayers, you say in LeBron James' name, amen. Or if you say in George Washington's name, amen. You're not gonna get very far because those guys are, well, LeBron James living, but he ain't got, he's not God. George Washington is dead. He ain't hearing your prayer, okay? But Jesus says, I'm leaving, but I'm still gonna be, I'm still gonna be around. I'm gonna be listening. And when you pray and you pray in my name, it's going to activate me. And I will be there. I will work. I am not, I'm leaving, but I'm here. You see, you and I have all experienced, uh, I would think you have, uh, how a name can have power behind it. There are certain names in certain settings, when you name drop, there's going to be a certain power behind it. And when you go somewhere and you maybe you know the owner and you drop their name, you might have a little bit of kind of special privileges. Okay, this is that kind of idea. I remember there's this place in L.A., uh, Los Angeles. Who's ever been to Los Angeles? Yeah, you need to know what you're doing when you go there, all right? Um, and you need to have a plan. Well, there's a lot of good food spots in LA. I understand people, a lot of people don't like LA. Uh, when you know the spots, you like LA. And there's a spot called Bottega Louie. Uh, and you're like, that sounds fancy. It is fancy. It's very expensive. Uh, but it's a dessert place. And they got some crazy, awesome, delicious desserts. And usually, you know, Haley and I will go there, maybe went to dinner somewhere. And then, you know, we'll stop by there and, you know, we'll get like one little like, you know, macaroon, something, you know, super fancy. And it's like $10 and we're like, we'll just share it. And, you know, <laughs> but when we went, we remembered that we used to know someone that worked there. And so we went up and his name was Alex. And we said, hey, does uh, Alex so-and-so, does he still work here? And they're like, no, but you know him? Like he was like one of our best workers ever. And simply because we knew someone who used to work there, we got, they literally gave us so much free stuff, like probably hundreds of dollars of dessert. Like we went out and we literally was given out to like homeless people on the way back to the car because it's LA. But nonetheless, because we name drop, we, you know, in, in Alex Baker's name, uh, then it's like, boom, right? Um, and it was amazing. It was super, super cool. Or I remember we were... Uh, Haley worked at this private Christian school in uh, Yorba Linda for a little while. And a lot of like, a lot of rich people went there. And the guy that owns Vans, I forget his name, uh, he, uh, his grandchildren went to the school. And he went and he, uh, 
you, see, you think Vans is a big deal worldwide? It's really not. It's a California thing. I don't know if you know that. You go to the East Coast, you're not going to see anyone wearing Vans. It's very odd. But anyway, so the guy uh, gave all the employees of the school uh, uh, like a discount, like 50% off Vans. I mean, pretty, pretty good, like whole entire purchase. But he signed it, that person's name. And so we went to this Vans store in, uh, it was in Azusa, and we went, and the guy was kind of rude. You know when you go somewhere and the guys, the guys are like kind of rude? Like, you're like, can I get, I just want to try this size. And I'm like, oh, I guess, you know. Um, and, and then we go to pay, and the guy's kind of been, you know, kind of rude. And then we drop the 50%. He's like, oh, wow, 50%. He looks at the back. He sees the owner's name. He's like, oh. He's like, you know the, you know the owner. We're like, oh, well, yeah. And guy totally shaped up. Super nice. You know, made sure that we were all taken care of. And it's like, because you, you, you guys understand, there is, sometimes there is power in the name. Well, there is no greater power than the name of Jesus. And when we come to God, we better drop Jesus's name, all right? Warren Wiersbe says this, when a friend says to you, you may use my name, he is handing you a great privilege as well as a tremendous responsibility. You see, when we come to God in prayer in the name of Jesus, it's not just a free ticket saying, God, give me whatever you want. Jesus says, I've given you my name, use it wisely. That when we come in the name of Jesus, when we claim the name of Jesus in prayer, then we need to ask a prayer that is fitting of putting Jesus' name behind it. I kind of like what David Guzik says as well. He says this, in my name is not a magic saying of prayer. It speaks both of endorsement, like you write, uh, you guys probably don't know about a check, but you like a bank check, you say, this is what I want. And a limitation request must be in accordance with the character of the name, that we come to God in Jesus' name, not our own. And so the prayers that we pray need to be in line with how the character of Jesus. And you know, you know when you pray and your prayers are either in line with Jesus or they're not. You see, Jesus says, I will move when you pray prayers that are fitting to my name. Jesus assures the disciples that when they pray according to his will, he will do it for them. Do what? He will move on their behalf. But this might look different than you're expecting. You might pray. It's going to, I don't know how, okay, I don't know how prayer works. I gotta, I gotta say to you guys, no one does. But I know what Jesus has told me. And I'm gonna trust what my savior has said when he says, when I come to him with the prayer that he's gonna move on my behalf, he's gonna do it. Now, what is he gonna do? I don't know, but he's gonna do something. And my God comes through and I've seen it time and time again. And it might be oftentimes, I can tell you guys, it's different than you expect. But when you wanna be a part, notice this is all in line, not with, oh, I can get whatever I want. It's in line with the greater work that Jesus wants to do. If you want to hop onto the wagon of working for God, God says, I will move on your behalf. I don't know how it works, but he promises that he will do it. But notice the purpose as well. Look at verse 13 and 14. It says that the son may be glorified in the father, that the purpose is God's glory. That when we pray for our own glory, that's a prayer that God's not going to hear. But when we pray for God's glory, that's a prayer he's going to do something about. You see, guys, Jesus isn't in heaven just doing nothing. He's not just chilling, like tapping his hands. Oh, I'm just waiting to come back. When's the rapture? When, when is that going to happen? He's not, he's not, he is up there on yours and mine on our behalf. The, G, the Bible describes Jesus at the right hand of God standing in the gap for us. Hebrews 
chapter 7, verse 25, tells us that Jesus isn't just there answering our prayers, that Jesus is actually at God's throne praying for you. It's amazing. You're like, I don't, yeah, I don't know. I don't understand how that works either. I just know Jesus is in heaven and he's for you and he's listening to you and he wants you to pray prayers so that he can move on your behalf. God ultimately is gonna do what he's gonna do. But the Bible says that when we pray, God will move. I don't know how it works. We'll find out a little bit more when we're in heaven. But I trust that and I've seen that in my own life. And we saw this evident in the book of Acts. Whenever you see God start doing crazy things in the book of Acts, it was always funded or founded on prayer, all right? So this is gonna happen by our privilege of prayer, the greater works. Second thing, are you guys ready? You guys awake? Yes, greater works. The second way that this is gonna happen is by our loving obedience, is by our loving obedience. And we're gonna see this in verse 15 and 21 through 24. Verse 15, Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commandments. In verse 21, he says, he who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my father and I will love him and manifest myself to him. He means to reveal himself to him. See, Jesus had previously already demonstrated his love to the disciples, right? Totally. He declared his love for the disciples and he commanded that they would love one another. But now, for the first time in this setting, he begins to speak of the disciples' love for him. Jesus tells them is, he tells them how they can show their love for him. And he says, it's by keeping my commandments. It's by keeping my commandments. There's another verse hidden here that it says that you will keep my word. You see, love precedes genuine obedience. You guys hear me? Love precedes genuine obedience. You see, anyone can get someone to obey, right? If, you, if there's enough consequences, if there's enough repercussions, then okay, I'll, I'll fall in line. I'll obey what you're saying. But Jesus wants our obedience to be so connected with love. And I, and I can personally testify to this, that for me, when I was your age in junior high, some of you know this, not all of you, but I was, I, I was here at church, but I was not here with the Lord. Meaning I... You know, my parents had the hardest time getting me just to obey and fall in line uh, with not just what God was saying, but with what they were saying in my seventh, eighth grade, and ninth grade year. Now, there came a moment in between ninth and tenth grade where God got a hold of my heart that I submitted under his leadership. I said, God, I've been on my throne in my life, and now I want you on my throne. And when that happened, I began a true, genuine, for the first time in my life, though I had grown up in church, a loving relationship with God. And it was no, for my parents, they no longer had to be on my back about this, that, or the other. Because I wasn't just obeying what they had asked me to do because, man, I was like, man, all right, I don't want to get in trouble, so I'll, I'll do what you're saying. And, and, and the things of God, I, I no longer just, oh, you know, man, I just want to follow God's word because, man, I don't want to end up in hell. And, you know, it wasn't like that. It was, God, I love you so much. I want to I follow everything you want from me. I want to show my love to you because, because you're so good to me. And you see, there is a difference, and you know the difference. You know when, when you respond to mom and dad 
and obedience out of love. When you're like, because when you respond out of love, it's above and beyond. It's above what they had asked. But when you're responding out of obligation, you guys know what obligation means? It means, oh, I'm like, I have to do it. Then you're going to do the bare minimum, right? You're going to, and, and you guys, you guys know what I'm talking about, right? Well, you didn't say to do this and, and, you'll, and you'll do the bare minimum. But when you obey out of love, oh, it's great. It's not a burden. Warren Wiersbe describes keeping. Notice he didn't say, he didn't say obey my word. He, he uses the word keep. Jesus does. As more than just obedience, to keep his commands means to value them, to treasure them, to guard them, to do them. I like that. Because to keep his commands isn't just, well, I got to obey what he says, but it's, oh God, your commands are good. Keep, keep them coming. And when you're in, you, you want to know how, if you're in a loving relationship with Jesus or not, and, and if you guys are truly good, this is a great test, is what, what God has asked you to do in your life, which you know, is it burdensome? Meaning, is it heavy? Is it a drag? Do you wish that, that God's commands or what he's asked of you to do is different? Then there's probably something interrupting your love relationship with God. First John 5, 3 says, for this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments or obey his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. You see, commandments are burdensome when they are removed from an act of love and devotion. When you're just doing them because you have to, it's a drag and they become heavy. They become taxing. It's an obligation. But when we can keep ourselves in the love of God, then his commandments, man, they're not burdensome. They're, it's like, man, you want to be in line. You hate when you're out of line because you want to show your love for what God has asked you to do. I want to show you guys a quick video that I think helps with this. Um, there is something that is called the Shema. Everyone say Shema. Um, for eighth graders, you saw this video not too long, potentially, maybe you weren't here, uh, but this is a great, uh, great video that explains in three minutes an Old Testament concept. So in Deuteronomy chapter six, verse three and five, there is a prayer that young Jewish boys and girls would grow up praying. And it, there is a great connection here between obedience and love, okay? And listening and obeying and love. And I want you guys to watch the video and then I'll read you the verses. For thousands of years, every morning and evening, Jewish people have prayed these well-known words as a way of expressing their devotion to God. They're called the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. And as for you, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength. Now, the first word of the Shema is hear or listen, which in Hebrew is pronounced Shema. That's where the prayer gets its name. Now, Shema is a really common word in the Hebrew Bible, and it's obvious why. Hearing is a very universal activity. It's usually connected with the ear, as in Proverbs chapter 20, ears that Shema and eyes that see, the Lord has made them both. Now, that seems basic enough, but if you look at the other ways that Hebrew authors can use the word Shema, they use it to mean more than just let sound waves enter your ear. In Hebrew, Shema can also mean pay attention to or focus on. So when Leah, who wasn't loved by her husband Jacob, she has a son and she names him Simon, or in Hebrew, Shimon, because she says, the Lord has Shamad, that I am unloved. 
So Shema means to hear and to pay attention to and even more. It can also mean responding to what you hear. This is why so many of the cries for help in the book of Psalms begin with a call that God listen. Psalm 27 verse 7, Shema my voice when I call, O Lord, be merciful, answer me. So asking God to Shema is at the same time asking God to act, to do something. It's similar to when God asks people to listen. Like when the people of Israel come to Mount Sinai, God says, If you Shema me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations you will be my treasured possession. Now, there's a couple interesting things about this verse in Exodus. In Hebrew, the word Shema is repeated twice in this sentence to give it emphasis. If you Shema Shema, meaning listen closely. But also notice that from God's point of view, listening is basically the same as keeping the covenant. So when God asks the people to Shema, what he means is that they listen and obey. And that's the last fascinating thing about Shema. In ancient Hebrew, there is no separate word for obey, meaning to carry out the wishes of someone who knows better than you or is in authority over you. So in the Bible, if you want to say, I will listen and do what you say, you use the single word Shema. In Hebrew, listening and doing are two sides of the same coin. This is why later in Israel's history, when the people were breaking their covenant promises to God, the Hebrew prophets would say things like, they have ears, but they're not listening. The Israelites, of course, could hear just fine, but they weren't actually listening or else they would act differently. And so in the end, listening in the Bible is about giving respect to the one speaking to you and doing what they say. Real listening takes effort and action. And that's the Hebrew word Shema. Pretty awesome stuff. Now, I want, you to, I want to now you to read this with me. This is the Shema. I know I was saying, sh- uh, I was mispronouncing it. The Shema, uh, Deuteronomy 6, this is that prayer that they would repeat. Therefore, hear, O Israel, that's that word, and be careful to observe it, that it may be well with you, that you may multiply greatly as the Lord God of your fathers has promised you, a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. You see, I love this because it connects the idea of obedience and love. You see, God's love language is your obedience. You want to make God, you you want to show that you love God? The best way is just to obey what he says. That's what he wants from you. And for those greater works to happen, for you guys to be a part of what God wants for your life, you have a purpose. And it is in God's plan. It's in God's kingdom. But man, if you, your relationship with God is going to be very difficult if it's just about rules. If you obey him out of obligation and not out of love. But when you can say, God, I'm going to do this, not just because I'm obligated to, because I have to, but God, and, and that can be in moments where I don't want to do this, but I'm going to do this because you have said this and I want to show you my love. You see, it really comes down to guys is what is the authority in your life? Who calls the shots in your life? Think about it right now. And don't say just mom and dad to me. Who calls the shots in your life? Who is on the throne of your life? Because whatever your authority is, is what you are going to respond to. And for you, if you can just learn that whatever this says you're going to do, oh, you, you, 
your life will be much better. It will be, now I'm not saying easier, it may be much better, more fulfilled, more satisfied, because you will only be satisfied when you are in line with what God wants for your life. He has greater works. So the third thing, he says, not just by the privilege of prayer and and by your loving obedience, I'm gonna be able to work through you, but the third thing is by the support of his spirit. That remember, Jesus is leaving, but he's also coming. Like, well, what do you mean? It is through his Holy Spirit. If you look at verse 16 through 18 in our chapter, it says, and I will pray the Father and he will give you another helper. Helper. And then that, that is then again repeated in verse 26, but the helper, the Holy Spirit. That word helper is that word in Greek, uh, parakletos. And you're like, parakel what? Parakletos. All right, if you are an eighth grader, you know what I'm talking about if you came to camp with us. Parakletos is the Greek word uh, for helper. It's the idea of someone who comes alongside to help. So notice how interesting this is. Jesus says, hey, I'm leaving. And notice he says, another helper is coming. Meaning Jesus, as he's been with the disciples, he has helped them, right? He has transformed these men. But now he's saying, I'm leaving, and there's going to be another helper, the Holy Spirit, who will come, and he will also help you. And literally, the word that he uses is to come alongside someone. That is what parakletos means. That's what helper means. It's to be an encourager. Another version puts it like this, someone else to stand by you. Jesus says, I'm leaving, but I have a replacement. And it's much better. There's going to be more effect because I'm not just going to be by your side. I'm going to be in you, but I will have the same effect where now the Holy Spirit will be the one who guides you. And and we'll look into that in just a moment. But in what ways is the Holy Spirit going to help us or help the disciples? Well, I want you to write down these four ways. All right. And I'm just going to give you all four right now. Um, so number one, in, these, in what we read in the beginning, if you go through this, you can kind of break it down into four different things. That the Holy Spirit is going to help you because he is the spirit of truth. He's going to help you because he's going to not just be by your side, but indwell in you. He's literally in you. Um, not physically, but spiritually. He's going to teach you and he's going to remind you. Do you like my last word? Reminder, er, it's not a word, but that's why I had to put it like that. He's gonna remind you, okay? And this is the spirit's role in our life. That, that when, when the Bible says that he's the spirit of truth, this is the idea that he is, he is trustworthy. That Jesus is saying, hey, I, I, remember what he just said in verse six, I am the truth. Well, he says, hey, just like I am the truth and you can trust me and I won't deceive you, I'm gonna send the spirit of truth into your life who you will be able to trust and who will lead you into all truth. We'll address this when we get there, but Jesus tells the disciples in John 16, 13 that the spirit will guide them into all truth. This is the idea that you and I have a, as a believer, we have a God-given discernment for deception. Who likes to deceive? Satan loves it, loves, he would love to trip you up. But if you are connected to the Holy Spirit by prayer and by obedience, then you will have that discernment. You'll be able to tell, and and you guys maybe have experienced it. I know I've experienced this when I've heard maybe someone else talking 
or I've gone to a different church or I've heard someone in this church or whatever. And you start to hear them and there's this like, it's almost like there's this alarm that's going on inside of you. And you're almost like, do you hear that? And they're like, no. And you're like, you know, it's almost like this internal alarm. It's like, hey, there's something wrong here. The Holy Spirit does that in our life. In that moment, you will question it. You will say, oh, that's just me. But you see, when the Holy Spirit speaks, it's usually very direct. It's very, hey, there's something wrong with this person. Hey, there's ulterior motives. It's not an emotional thing. It's not based, well, I don't like her hair. And so I have this discernment about that she's like from the devil. Okay, it's not like that. Okay, it, it's, this, it's this very defining, hey, hey, that there's something up with that person. Don't listen to what they say. That it's the spirit of truth who will guide us into all truth. It's awesome. I love that the Holy Spirit does that. Because sometimes it's hard to like, oh, I, don't, I don't, is this true? Is this not? The Holy Spirit is a great discerner of truth. The second thing is that he's going to indwell in us. In this section, he says that, that he's going to abide with you forever. If you look at verse 18, he says, I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. The idea of being orphaned is to be abandoned. It's someone who lacks the support and care that they need. And Jesus is saying, that's not going to be you. I'm leaving, but I'm sending the Holy Spirit who will always be with you. I'm not going to leave you without support. I'm not going to leave you without care. And guys, this is not some like fanciful thing. Like it's not some fairy tale. This is true today. If you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit of God dwells inside of you. You hear me? And he's there to support you. He's the helper. He wants, to, he wants you to recognize and acknowledge that he's in you. And, you and, and it is an access that you have to God. He's in you. He's not just alongside you. He's in you. And he's not going anywhere. And when the Holy Spirit comes into a life of a believer, he's never leaving. Hear me? He's not going nowhere. If the Holy Spirit's in you, he's always in you. Third thing is that he's a, a teacher, that if you look at verse 26, he says that the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. You see, they looked at Jesus as their rabbi, right? As their teacher, that they asked him questions, that he was teaching them the word of God about things. And so when they hear they're leaving, they're thinking, who's going to teach us? Well, the Holy Spirit comes into the life of a believer and teaches them. You know you can ask the Holy Spirit questions? What? What? Yeah! Like when you're reading God's word and you're like, I don't have any clue what this means. You can say, God, Holy Spirit, what does this mean? Would you enlighten me? Would you give me understanding? God wants you to pray those kinds of prayers. But sometimes we come to God's word and we're like, I don't get this. Right? But... When we can, if we can just sit and say, I don't get this, Lord, give me revelation. God, is God able to do that? I don't know about your God, but my God can do that. And I'm teaching myself right now because sometimes I go too quick to, I don't get this. I got to go find someone who gets it instead of letting the Holy Spirit speak to me. He's our teacher. He will teach you. Ask him. Third or fourth thing is that he is a reminder. Oh, thank God. I, I don't know about you guys, probably not, um, but I use the reminder app on my phone all the time. Did you guys know you can do like crazy things? This is crazy to me. I can, be, I can say that 
Siri, remind me at 11.20 to talk to the leaders during our huddle that we have. Done. Done. I don't know if you heard that. She said done. And I use reminders because I'm a forgetful person. I'm a very forgetful person. If you come and tell me something and you say, hey, can you do this for me tomorrow? If I don't write it down, I will not do it. And I know myself. And I love the Holy Spirit because he brings as a way of reminder saying, hey, do you remember what you read? Hey, do you remember what Jesus said? I love this about the Holy Spirit. I love that he reminds me because I need that. I need him to remind me. But I like what the Black's new commentary says. This is a commentary set of multiple writers. And in there, the the author said this, he will bring to remembrance what Jesus had said, not simply by reproducing his words, but by unfolding their significance for the new situation in which the disciples find themselves. Meaning it wasn't just going to be like Siri of like, right? Siri can only do like, hey, uh, you know, I'll I'll get a little like buzz in my my, uh, my pocket, but oh yeah, okay, she reminded me. But she's not able to like start talking about, hey, during that huddle, what you really want to talk to the leaders about is this, right? I mean, that'd be awesome. That'd be legit. But that's what I have the Holy Spirit for. That is not just, he's not just like this robot, uh, you need one o'clock, you do this. No, he's, he, he'll bring that same information that you've heard before and he will bring it in a new light and apply it to that situation in your life. Wow. But do you even recognize that the Holy Spirit's in you? When's the last, think about it, don't answer. Think about what is the last time that you thought God lives in me and God's there to teach me, to remind me, to be with me, to help me. He's there. You have access to him. You just got to think about it. That's what it means to walk in the spirit, to be filled with the spirit. It's to live in the very presence of God. And through that, when you access the privilege of prayer, when you guys can access the obeying him out of love and not obligation, and you can recognize that the Holy Spirit's in your life to help you, you will be a part of the greater impact that God wants to do. You'll be a part of something bigger than yourselves, and it's God's kingdom. And he wants that for you, not when you become an adult. He wants that for you now, today. And so just as assured that the disciples were, that, that, that he was leaving, and he assured them, hey, I'm leaving, I'm going, but their work was not over. In fact, it was really just getting started that they were to play a vital role in God's plan to redeem mankind. But this would only happen by their connection to him in prayer, their obedience to his word, and the spirit in and through them. And so this would be Jesus' word to you today. There is work to be done. There is a kingdom to be built. But will you pray in the name of Jesus? Will you put God's word as your ultimate authority and will you walk in the spirit? Ephesians 2.10 says very clearly that God has good works for you today to walk in. You just got to walk in them. You got to be aware. All right. 